Welcome to ISA's Arborviews podcast, a series bringing you conversations with researchers and tree care experts about current issues in arboriculture. I'm Philip Van Wassener, your host on this episode of Arborviews. I'm joined now by Matt Wells. Matt Wells is the Director of Tree Preservation for the New York City Department of Parks and Recreation. Matt specializes in historical tree preservation, public tree protection, and tree risk management. Today we're going to talk about emergency tree risk management, and, and any of you might be familiar, New York City has had um, a few storms come through as of late, so, so Matt's particularly well versed in this subject. So. Welcome, Matt. It's great to have you in my fair town, Toronto, and uh, we really thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Philip. Nice to be here. We wanted to start with sort of a broad question that you know you would probably be able to give us some background on. What would you say are, is important to include in an emergency tree risk management plan? Um, well, that's a great question, and I think that it's one that you know in New York City, it's answering that question has only come because of our experience over the last couple of years with so many storm emergency that we've, emergencies that we've had. Um, but, you know, in our document that we have, it's a, it's a document that's called FORCE, it's called Forestry Storm Emergency. You know, the key elements, and I, th I think that they are applicable to most people, are, you know, make sure you have a defined chain of command. Um, ICS, um, Incident Command Systems, um, produced by FEMA, uh, federal, um, the Federal em Emergency Management Agency of the US, has produced some great training and some documents about ICS and I think that anyone should look for that on the internet but inside there it has some really key ways to respond to emergencies, any, any emergency, not just storm emergencies involving trees, but in there um, and we've taken a lot of information out of, out of that ICS training but define chain of command so you make sure you know who's in charge, who's doing what, you know, we, they, they break out into a couple of different sections so we have like an operations section a planning section, a logistics section, and a finance section. So making sure that everyone knows their roles, you know, identifying the phases of response, so making sure that people understand how storms sort of are and what we're going to do at each phase. But the, I think the key content that you must have in your in your storm emergency plan or in any storm emergency plan is just to understand how you're going to respond. You know, based on what's happened, how are we going to respond? How are we going to organise ourselves? You can adopt different strategies, and I think we might talk about that a little bit later on, but also prioritization, and that's a key one for managing the risk associated with these events, is making sure that we have a clear, clear defined which risks we're going to attack first, to make sure that, you know, for members of the public, that we're getting rid of the high risk first before we move to the next level, before we move to the next level. So, in a nutshell, emergency tree risk management is really understanding what's going on and you know the policies and procedures that we're going to use to respond to an emergency event so we can mitigate the risk as quickly as possible. Great. So Matt, you've been at the city something like 10 years uh, in different roles, but um, you've, you've been through a few storms and dealt with this issue a few times. Have you seen any kind of evolution or change in the way that New York City responds? Yeah, I mean, we had some tornadoes um, that hit us about three years ago. And it really, you know, it, the tornado went through not only the parts department parking lot while I was sitting at my desk, but also went right through the middle of kind of, well, not through the middle of Queens and the upper edges of uh, Brooklyn and Staten Island. And it, and it really caught us flat footed. Um, you know, the city activated, our Office of Emergency Management activated. And parts department, you know, we did our best, but we had a very traditional way that we would respond to these emergencies. We had never dealt with anything as big as this. 
So it was very challenging to us, and we think that the you know the way we responded was great. We worked very hard, and we got through it. But it could have been much better if we were better prepared. So over the next events, um, we've developed like a, you know this, I just spoke about the storm emergency protocols. We really developed that. We did a lot of training. And we also developed a uh, computer application called Storm Mobile because everything's so important when you're in a storm emergency to be able to report on what's going on in the field. This concept of situational awareness, being being aware of what's going on the whole time in terms of your inspectors, in terms of your crews, and how many blocked streets do you have, how many trees on wires do you have, how many trees on houses do you have, to know all that, you know, know where they are geographically. Also, so you can get other people to give you a hand in responding. So, you know, we've had to learn a lot. Um, Irene was a good test for us, but then I think in Superstorm Sandy or Hurricane Sandy, um, we did a great job, and that was only due to the fact that we'd had the opportunities to really upgrade it, or well, the whole way we approached emergencies, and we were able to hit Hurricane Sandy, you know, head on. And, and I think the response we did there was absolutely fantastic. So you mentioned, you know, that the the start of this uh, was maybe some storms three or four years ago, and you made changes. So what changes do you think you made that had the biggest impact? You've talked about sort of how you're doing it. What changes from where you went before to where you are now made maybe the biggest impact? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think making sure that a lot of our staff was trained in ICS is really important, that incident command systems, just so we as people responding to emergency incidents, we kind of understood ways that the fire brigade do it or the you know, fire department or police do it or other agencies were doing it, you know, to work a lot closer to our Office of Emergency Management and realize there is some ways to strategically um, organize yourselves so you can get out there and do the right thing. So that was key for us is to, to look at ICS and then integrate those protocols into our storm emergency plans. And the other big one was through the lessons we learned through those events, real, realizing that we needed a, a field application, a computer field application that could assist us in managing literally thousands of calls from members of the public and being able to generate thousands of work orders from the field and close those work orders from the field so we could report on what we were doing out there and also we could generate up-to-date progress reports to upper management. And you know, politically, it's very important for the agency to show that we're responding appropriately Otherwise, you know, that's a big issue, that's a big concern for the Mayor's Office, that's a big concern for the Office of Emergency Management. We need to be working efficiently to get the hazards out of the way so New York can return to normal as quickly as possible. Well, that um, leads right into sort of my next question, which is you mentioned, first of all, that, you know, these storms hit and they, there's different geography, there's different types of tree issues on wires, over roads. So. How do you go through a process of prioritization when there's so much damage everywhere? It's, again, ICS was a great guide for that. Um, and also, you know, it's very similar as well to standard tree risk assessment. Um, you know, whether it's you know, the new, obviously, ANSI standard part nine, ANSI A300 part nine. Again, it's a methodical approach at looking at what's happened, looking at not only the tree, but also looking at the environment it's in, and then, you know, categorizing those trees based on that. But the key ones we have, that we use that are, you know, we have to be fairly simple and straightforward in this sort of emergency, particularly when we have thousands of trees down maybe across the city, is we go for life safety issues first. So number one is the trees that maybe have stopped someone or sort of on a house or on a car and there's someone trapped inside. And we're going to work very closely with fire and police on that. Luckily, we don't get many of those. We've had them, but we don't get many of those. But they're always going to be number one, life safety. 
Then after that, it's making sure that we get our primary roads open and then our secondary roads, and at the end of that, our tertiary roads. So, you know, it's not only, you know, damage comes in two ways, not direct damage to, to humans, not only being hit by a tree, but indirect in a way that if the tree's down and then suddenly my house is on fire and the fire engine can't get to it or I have a medical emergency. Absolutely. So it's indirect, um, indirect risk. So we need to make sure we're getting the roads open as quickly as possible. The other big one for us is um, trees on electric cables. You know, when they're pulling down you know, cables and, and wires and there's a electricity down in the public right away. So we have to work very closely with our um, Con Edison, our utility partners, to make sure we're getting the trees off the wires, we can get the wires out of the public right away, back up on the poles. So that's kind of really our main ones that we're doing. The other one we do as well is if we've got, say, big hanging limbs over an area that can't be secured. So again, when we get back to classic tree um, risk management, if we can't reduce the target, even if we, you know, we can't tape it off and we stop people going under there, obviously that's concern and you know limbs that would if they were to fall could possibly very badly injure someone if not fatally kill them you know fatally injure them should i say is we have we have to make sure that those are the first ones we go to and then once we've done that then we go to stuff like um, property preservation so then we're going to start pulling trees off people's homes we're going to start pulling trees off people's cars Um, and then after that we go to lower stuff so stuff that's more quality of life trees blocking, say, sidewalks, trees that are down on the ground, say, in parks. So stuff that's not really posing any immediate risk to either people or property is where we go to next. And then finally, it's like urban forest restoration. So we're looking for replanting opportunities, sidewalk damage stumps, stuff like that. So as you can see, that's the way we inspect and also the way that we um, approach work orders. Life safety first, then property, then quality of life. Very good. So. Um you have a, a whole variety of different responses that you need to um, undertake when you're in that role. So what would be the difference maybe between request-based responses, storm zone responses, and maybe some form of combined response? Yeah, and in our um, emergency uh, document, our emergency storm response document, we kind of came up with these tactics. of like, you know, if this happens, how strategically we're gonna approach this? So we developed some tactics. And this um, idea of request-based is where we're really gonna use members of the public, calls for members of the public, to guide us on where we go. And this is usually for damage that's across the whole city. So if, unlike a tornado, you tend to get very concentrated damage in one place, um, and I'm gonna get to that next, with a you know request-based, it's where you've really got damage everywhere. So we're gonna look at the service requests that are coming in, and we're gonna just basically send out our inspectors to those service requests. They're gonna generate work orders that then go to our work crews. Storm zones, and it's what happened with the tornadoes, is that we had so much damage, it was so concentrated, we ended up um, generating these geographical areas and we just sent resources into those areas and we told those resources, whether they're inspectors or crews, to just to sweep, go block by block, sweep the whole area, and when it's done, let us know. So that's kind of a different approach. So it's kind of simplistic, but it's kind of, you know, if you, as well, if you can't really communicate easily from the field, you know, using storm zones is a great way to go because if you can't be calling in the whole time, you just send resources into the area and say, when that area's done, tell me it's done and we'll move you to another area. So just that sweeping or grid pattern approach is what we call storm zone. And combined is maybe where you've got very concentrated damage coupled with a little bit of um, spread out damage as well. So really it's just a combination of those two tactical approaches. Now that you have have um, worked through this and, and are developing for New York City, which is a very big place, this kind of um, approach, 
can you know how would what do you think is the difference that having this emergency type of response in place how, what kind of difference is that going to make to the city it, it just really means that we can respond in the best way possible with procedures and protocols to mitigate the risk that these events pose as quickly as possible and, you know over the last three events our operational activation periods have come down massively We've been able to deal with far more service requests, you know, expeditiously, generate more work orders, clean up more down trees, making sure we're in compliance with all the rules and regulations, make sure we have all the records that we need for FEMA to get federal reimbursement, we're in compliance with Asian longhorn beetle requirements. So just have a very defined, clear program and protocol that we can click to to get a, to get the job done. And I wouldn't say that we're you know, I just say that in the last three events, the stress has gone out of it a lot for forestry people as well, is because we really know what we're going to do. We know where we're going to go. We know where we're going to be. We know who's going where. We know what equipment to take. We're very experienced now, and that's it's really taken the, the stress out of it. But also, in the point of view of our responsibilities to members of the public and the city, we're able to fulfil those in the in the best way possible. And, and that's really where where we are now, I believe, with our forestry storm emergency response. And I guess I have a supplementary question to that because you know most urban forest programs are suffering for funding. So do you think that having this type of plan in place, have you seen a difference on the on the costs of the cleanup, uh, or does it, or is it just more and a more effective cleanup? It, it's more effective, but you know we of course because we're able to direct those forestry crews better. There's no waste. There's no downtime. You know. Before, I think that occasionally we had crews where we weren't quite sure where to send them next, and then you know, by the time we had a crew sitting somewhere waiting to know where to go next, that's that's time wasted. But right. now we can very clearly direct crews, and we can direct them to also the high priority work first. So, I think it, it means that we can work far smarter and far harder in the field. So economically, I think it makes a big difference. And, and to that question as well about urban forestry, and again, why I think this is so important is. If members of the public don't feel safe, if they're feeling like we can't respond effectively, you know, why would you ever let someone plant a tree outside your home if you if you if you felt that it posed a risk to your family? So, making sure that you have that comprehensive response and you're able to deal with these events is really important, I think, as well to maintain um, popularity for your forestry programs as a whole. From from our discussions, it seems to me that you know, like many things, the your program is actually it's it's a it's a reaction to having the storms that right. you needed it. So, how can some of our listeners benefit from your experience before the storm comes? What do you think you would tell them to you know? How would they start the process of developing such a plan? I you know I think that it's it's relatively simple. I think there's some great there's some great training available. U.S. Forest Service. I know they offer that strike team training. I think that's great training for communities as well. They have a lot of advice on their website about how communities can prepare for storms. And I've seen one or two other protocols that are out there. There's been some great articles recently in the ISA Journal as well, recently about storm response. So there's lots of great information there. I would tell people again, ICS, Incident Command System training that's available. I think it's available online, but that, that training has key information on how to organize yourself. But I think that, you know, apart from having obviously a storm protocol, making sure that you, you understand if, if something happens, how are you going to get out there and get situational awareness? 
maybe you just have one person and you say, hey, you're gonna drive the primary roads. If a storm hits, drive the primary roads, let us know if they're open or closed. Let's, let's just do that, because that's a number one, that's a big one, right, to get the primary roads open. And then once you've done the primary roads, maybe that individual go to the secondary roads. Make sure you have good relationships with the utility company. So if something comes on and it's happening and you've got a tree involved with a wire, make sure that you know that you can reach out to this person, they're going to help you. The other thing is emergency contracts. It's not always possible, but if, if you're a municipality, make sure you have big emergency contracts ready to roll that you can call on. They're going to have bucket crews in them. They're going to have loader crews, maybe wood grinding stations, tree cranes, other heavy equipment that you might need. Um, other mutual aid, perhaps mutual aid agreements. We're very lucky. We have a very well established and um, organized OEM, Office of Emergency Management. So maybe they've got mutual aid agreements with upstate agencies that can come in and help you. With your sister agencies, we work very closely with the Department of Transport, Department of Sanitation in, in, in like these incidences, and we have good relationships with those agencies. Police and fire departments, you can work with them as well. So I think have clear, you know, think about it and really clearly know, and again, have an ICS chain of command. Hey guys, who's gonna do what? Who's gonna be the incident commander? Who's gonna be point on this? Where are we gonna go? Who's gonna be in like, who's going to be in operations, who's going to be in planning, who's going to be in logistics, who's going to be in finance. So just be organized, have some clear approaches on how you're going to do it. And I think you know, that'll put you in a great place. And if possible, have an application like we have in New York, like Storm Mobile, where you can really work operations from the field and be able to generate reports on a nearly you know constant basis of the progress that you're making in the field is, is key as well but it, we're new york city so it's not always easy for other people to be like that but i think those are the, some of the key things that i would look for and i think it's amazing how much more you can do just by having a clear plan in place and really knowing what you're going to do and having your priorities set as well we're going to do this first guys then this then this and that makes a big difference as well yeah that's interesting because i was thinking about it and i asked a question earlier about finances and so for communities this doesn't necessarily have to be an additional cost except for the time to do training and to build and engender those relationships right. but it does it's not necessarily an investment in in extra equipment etc it's more knowing what you have and your limitations and how you're going to work with them right and you know like you say just be clear on how you're going to get out there get that situation awareness and you know depending on what resources you have make sure that you're deploying them in the most effective way possible and you building know, so making sure you're going to the high priorities first and then working your way down the list. And then if, you know, because then you can show that you did everything you possibly could with the resources that you had available to you. And I think that's what you really, that's obviously where we need to get to um, with any tree risk management scenario. Yeah, well, the collaboration aspect is really important in, in all the things we do because the urban forest kind of goes through everybody else and when you have an emergency you have to pull them back together. Well, this has been a really interesting interview and I think, uh, Regrettably, it may be a topic that more people are going to have address have to address. We're seeing, um, you know, increased frequency in many places of, of storms and intensity of storms. So, I think this will be really helpful information to some of our listeners. And thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been great.